see everybody this morning. Um, obviously, uh, we have a guest speaker here. I'm excited. Um, he's got a great testimony. He's got a great um, vision for what God wants to do with him in the low country. Uh, his name is Pastor Brian Seeley, and his family is sitting over there, his wife Aaron and his, their children. There's so many children, I can't name them all right now, so I'm just going to stick with Aaron and Brian. Um, also, uh, he, he's a great man. I enjoy being around him. only thing about him, and you'll see it when he gets up here, he's going to need a little pra- bit of prayer. He's got a particular shirt on that maybe you might need to be aware of, so uh, try not to hold it against him, but I'm going to ask Pastor Brian to come up and share with us. And so, yes, we'll get that out of the way. First, uh, I am an Ohio State fan, born and raised in Ohio, so uh, we won't hold that against you. Uh, If you need prayer, uh, if you're Clemson fans, raise your hands. Uh, We're doing a special service right after this to anoint you. We all believe that we're children of God, so we won't won't hold that against you. But we're even, Right? We're even right now, Clemson, Ohio State, one-on-one. But I just want to thank you uh, just for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Uh, As Pastor Scott already mentioned, we do have a unique story, and we're super excited just to get to share that with you this morning. But first of all, how are we doing this morning? Are we awake? You need your second cup of coffee? You better buckle up because it's going to be great. I believe God has something just very special in store for us, each and every one of us today. So Let's actually, let's start out in a word of prayer to God this morning. Father God, just thank you for being with us this morning. This is your promise. Where two or three gather, there you would be in the midst. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, just to stir inside of us like you've never done before. This is a special day, a special moment. So we want to see you. We want to feel you. Come be a part of this right now. May you inhabit the praise of your people today, Lord. And may it just go to glorify your holy name, which is the name that is above all names in the name of Christ Jesus. And we pray that. Amen. So, June 6, 2009 was the best day of my life. And you can ask Aaron, hey, was that the best day of your life, June 6, 2009? I don't know. She might have a a different story than I do. But that was the day we got married. That's the day that God blessed us, anointed us. I knew it was going to be great. We just purchased our first home. You know, life was uphill right now. It was on the uprise. God just had such a beautiful plan for our life. Little did I recognize, within 24 hours, our life was going to change forever. We're actually headed down to South Carolina where we were going to spend our honeymoon, and uh, we were actually going to Somerville. And we got about halfway down. We were in the Virginia area, and we stopped off to get some gas for the, our car. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen a Pontiac Sunfire. You ever see these small cars? So we got one. So we outdated ourselves. 2009, Pontiac Sunfire. These cars are extremely small, but this was my wife's baby. She had this car since she was 16, absolutely adored, uh, dare I say, loved this car. She even still speaks of it today. Every time we see a Pontiac Sunfire, she's like, oh, see a little tear stream down her face when she sees the car. But she entrusted 
this car to me to drive. And I'm not saying I'm a lead foot, but uh, I'm a lead foot. And so when we, we got a mission to go somewhere, I want to get there as quickly as we can. Anybody identify with that? And this is before the days of GPS, where we actually can look these things up on our phone, get directions, uh, being the brilliant man that I am. I followed my man's instinct and got on the wrong direction. We actually started going back home towards Ohio, and I'm like, oh my goodness, just want to get down, get started on our honeymoon, and I have this brilliant idea. Right up, about a quarter mile up the road, I can see this like little median area. I'm like, man, if we can just pull off into that median area, we could get right back on track really quick instead of going up to the next exit and getting off safely. And as we got off this off-ramp, I pulled, I, I darted. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I darted off that off-ramp. I'm like, Meow! going 60, 70 miles an hour off the off-ramp, saw a semi. Now, if you've ever been through Virginia, West Virginia, and seen a semi, have you ever seen this? It, it, it's quite spectacular, actually. It's more than you want to see from an 18-wheeler. They fly. He had his foot to the pedal, very similar to which I. He was going 80 miles an hour going down the freeway. And I'm like, I can get in front of this dude pretty quick. I got in front of that semi. I'm going 80, 85, and I see that. We're approaching it. I got our car about a quarter of the way into that median area when I realized it was chained off. And the last thing I remember was the impact of getting hit by that semi. At a moment when we woke up, I should say I woke up, we were in midair and recognized and thought, well, this isn't normal, right? I'm upside down, I'm looking at the roof of the ceiling, and then everything goes pitch black again. The moment I came to, I was still upside down in our car, and I looked to my wife Erin to the right of me. She's not moving. She was unresponsive. And the first thought that enters into my head is, how in the world am I going to tell her mom and dad and her brothers, the day after we got married, I just killed your daughter, I just killed your sister by making a boneheaded decision that could have been easily avoided. And through a sheer act of desperation, I cried out to God. I told him right then and there, if you save my wife, if you save Aaron, I will follow you anywhere. And I mean anywhere. Instantaneously, breath filled her lung. She unbuckled. She started army crawling out of the car. And when we got out, I'm looking at the wreckage behind us. I'm like, well, that's weird. Why is the semi so far behind us? Officers were on the scene. The police had arrived. And as I spoke to the officer, he told me, son, you're lucky to be alive. It was reported when you were hit, the semi was going 85 miles an hour, hit your tail end, and projected you 500 feet in the opposite direction. There is no way, no logical way, that you should be alive right now. And so every 
June 7th that comes around, we take a moment, we pause, and we look at this. God has blessed us with 12 years of marriage, five beautiful children, and that wouldn't have happened had we not survived that accident. And we learned right then and there, God had a purpose for our life. But he really provided three answers to us right then and there that kind of was a, a defining moment. He gave us a purpose, he gave us a passion that day, and he gave us a promise. The first of this was our purpose. He clearly set out in front of us in Scripture, our purpose will be fulfilled in God's Word. And this is coming from the message translation. This is Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. And I want you to listen to this. He says, you are to be the light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, do you think I'm going to hide you under a lampstand? I'm putting you on a stand. And now that I put you on a hilltop, love your name, by the way, now that I put you on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open houses. Be generous with your lives. Be open to others. You'll prompt people to open up to God as they do their generous Father in heaven. And then our second one, very similar to that, is from John chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, that says, Everything was created through him. Nothing, not one thing, came into being without him. What came into existence was the life, and that life was the light to live by. The life light blazed out of the darkness, and the darkness could not put it out. Out of these two scriptures formed the identity of Illuminate Church. We knew we needed to be the light of Jesus everywhere we would go, into our neighborhoods, into our community, into our secular jobs, and especially, especially in our families. The core of what we would be doing would be two things. It would be both missional and it would be incarnational. And I love, one of my favorite authors is Michael Frost. And if you ever get a chance, just Google Michael Frost. Awesome author, pastor, leader. He said this when he defined missional. Everything we say and do that alerts others to the reign of God. And that's our mission. We're trying to alert everybody everywhere to the reign of God. In other words, we're going to live questionable lives. And what I mean by that, has anybody ever asked you, why did you do that? Anybody? Anybody ever ask you, why did you do that? That is kind of the secret sauce, if you will, what it means to be a follower of Christ. If people aren't asking you questions of why you do the things that you do, you better check your pulse to see if you're alive because this is what we were created for. We were not created to blend in with, with the rest of the world. God has literally, like a hilltop, you were called to stand out. You were called to shine. And when you're on a hilltop, can you hide? I don't think so. God called you to a higher ground to step out. 
And when you get out into that world, shine. Shine. And so he gave us that purpose, to be the light of Christ. Next thing he gave us was our passion. And out of our passion, not only will we be missional, we will be incarnational. And what I mean by this, it's so simple. All it means when I say incarnational, we will walk like Jesus, we're going to talk like Jesus, and we're going to be in the places that Jesus would be. And we get an excellent description of this in Mark chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Listen to this. Later, Jesus and his disciples were at home having supper with a collection of disreputable guests. Now, let's be honest. When's the last time you opened up your home to disreputable guests? Right? Not something we see ourselves doing. You see a guy on the street and say, hey, I think I'd like to invite that guy over for supper. Is anybody doing that? But this is the exact picture that Jesus gives us right here, is that he opens a home to people that were unfit, unworthy. And it goes on. And as unlikely as it seems, more than a few had come become followers. And take note of this. The religious scholars and Pharisees saw him. And keeping company lit in to his disciples and said this, what kind of an example are you setting? Becoming so cozy with such riffraff. Jesus overhearing this shot back, who needs a doctor? Is it the spiritually fit or is it the sin sick? I think one of the greatest dangers of being a Christian is where we spend our time. If we're spending the majority of our time with people who are already saved, we are not going to help fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. That is not to say that we shouldn't be around such people like we're doing right now. This is a good thing. But if we're spending more time around the churched people than the unchurched, the dechurched, the disenfranchised, we have lost sight of the vision of Jesus Christ. This was Jesus' own words. I have come to seek and save the lost. Matthew 19.10, one of my favorite verses. One of my great friends and mentors, Dr. Chris Dyer, was doing his doctoral dissertation. And his coach and mentor, Dr. Leonard Sweet, he said this, if you want to find Jesus, you'll find him in the margins. It's the fringes. It's the dark places. It's the outsides. It's with the least of these. So our mission is a direct result of that. We're going to walk in to every community that we step foot in and upend it with a crazy love of Jesus. Have you ever noticed that in your life? Is Jesus' love sane? I don't think so. I think it's crazy. It can't be comprehended. Jesus shows love to those people that don't deserve it. 
He gives second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances to people who don't deserve it. He gives mercy to those who don't deserve it. I'm a first-hand witness of that mercy. It takes the unlovable. This is what Jesus' love does. It takes the unlovable, the marginalized, the disenfranchised, those that are so far away and think they can never live up to the standard of Jesus and say, I don't belong, draws them close. So he can, you can literally hear his voice whispering in your ears to tell you, you are loved and you are worthy. So we have a purpose. We have a passion. And this is one of my favorite parts. Jesus gives us a promise. Out of that promise is the Great Commission. One of my favorite verses in all Scripture, when I'm down, when I'm troubled, this is the verse that I always go back to. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, out of the message. It says, Jesus undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near in the way, this way of life, marking them by the baptism in the threefold name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then instruct them to practice all I've commanded you. And this is my favorite part. And I will be with you when you do this, day after day, up to the very end of the age. It's these kind of scriptures that I always come back to because I need that reminder. I need the love of Jesus day after day after day. Do I need to keep going? Do you need that? Day after day, I need Jesus' love to keep reminding me that I am accepted, I am loved, I am valued. You see, our journey didn't start out. The reason why I needed that, that reminder, is because I've been bivocational nearly all my ministry career. Four years of my life has been spent working at a juvenile detention center and just praying to God to find me a job. You think God has a sense of humor? I do. Never in my life have I dreamed of working at a juvenile detention center as a corrections officer. But God had the last laugh on that. Anybody raising teens right now? How fun is it to raise teens? Can I just ask you? Are you having, having fun? Because uh, not to sell out your kids... What are teens? How is it raising teens? Do, do they talk back to you? I'm going to say mine. Mine haven't made it to the teenage years, but they're getting close. But they do that. They talk back to you. They give you attitude. They check you at every point. They know all the little buttons they can push to make mom and dad mad. Now let's put that on another level. Work at a juvenile detention center with lost and broken kids that don't know Jesus Christ and how they'll push through every nerve. And I was complaining to God about this one day. I was like Moses and the Israelites when they were wandering around in the desert. What were they doing? They were complaining to God. You give us 
these years to wander around the desert and you give us this manna, this bread, every single day it's the same thing? That was me complaining to God. I'm like, get me out of here. I can't stand this job. Kids are mouthy. The job stinks. We're restraining people, it seems like, on an everyday basis. Ever have to put anybody in a restraint chair? Not the most fun thing. And God had to do one of those upside the back of my head and say, wake up, Brian. Wake up. The mission field is right in front of you. I've strategically positioned you to light up the darkness. And in my four years, you led many teens to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And on an everyday basis, we were having spiritual conversations. And what I want to remind you, do not overlook the job that God has put you in. It's a strategic positioning by God, like me, to light up the darkness, right at your, your secular job, to be the light of Jesus Christ. Then he took me back. The majority of my life, I worked in grocery retail. Anybody work in a grocery store before? Just curious. Oh, awesome. So I'm in good company. Uh, I got to say, I love the people, but the business, eh. Not very fond of working in retail. And I promised as soon as I quit that first time of working at grocery retail, I would never, never, and please, please never do this. And I, this is just a food for thought today. Never tell God that you're not going to do something. Never tell him that because I guarantee 100% of the time he's going to bring you right back to you. Guess what I'm doing as a secular job right now? No, don't be afraid. What do you think I'm doing? Working in a grocery store. I mean, I told you our God had a sense of humor, right? Right back in it where I thought I would never be working at a grocery store, working in a produce department where I had grew up working. But God brought me back and keeps bringing me back to this moment. Just like he taught me at the juvenile tenure center to have patience and see with my eyes what I see. He brought me to a grocery store to help me and remind me to have a servant's heart. Those were Jesus' words. I did not come to serve, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And every day I'm waking up, reminding me, keep my eyes focused on the prize and asking the Holy Spirit to direct me into the conversations that I need to have today. Because we're not just going to work to get a paycheck. We're not going to work. Well, where can we go to vacation this year? Your jobs are God's strategic position to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're seeing it for anything else other than that, ask the Holy Spirit for help. Because there's so many days I walk into work and I think I get blinded by the to-dos instead of the mission of Jesus Christ to seek and save the lost. And you're, you're not familiar. Our denomination, the Wesleyan Church, is on a mission with Marketplace Ministry. 
Go to the Wesleyan Wes website. Check it out. Marketplace Ministry, because it is a reminder that we are on mission for Jesus Christ. So use your position at a grocery store, in an office, on the road. Use it. Use it. And if you're retired, it doesn't matter. God can use you. We go to the grocery stores, right? Sometimes. We pick up a lot these days. But you've gone in a grocery store lately? Nobody? One? All right, two. Ask Erin about going into grocery stores with me. She will not go into a grocery store with me anymore because she knows every time that we walk into a grocery store, I'm going to have a conversation with somebody. And I believe me when I tell you it's not intentional. I'm minding my own business. Somebody comes up, starts having a conversation. We're there 20 minutes having a conversation with somebody. She's like, who is that? No clue. Just met him. But it's our reminder, be open. Be open to the opportunities that God places before you. God is going to use you wherever you're at. And so he gave us this, that promise. I'm going to be with you even to the very end of the age. It's what spurs us on. Honestly, it's what spurred us on to move away, seven hours away from where we used to live in Virginia, 11 hours from our home state. And it's made it normal because of that reminder that Jesus was with us everywhere we would go, day after day. It's become sort of natural. This is our 12th time of moving. We just moved for our 12th time two weeks ago. Luckily, this has been the easiest move. It was literally right next door. But God has been faithful. And so, out of these things, you got to ask yourself, what's going to make Illuminate different? That's the question we ask ourselves. There are so many churches in our area. What is going to, another church going to do in this area? Well, our mission is to make lives brighter through the love of Jesus Christ. One home and one community at a time. And what that looks like, make lives brighter, all it means is we're going to look for partnerships. Because we're fools if we think we can do this on our own. We have to create partnerships. That means with churches, it doesn't matter the denomination. Of course, we want to partner with Wesleyan churches, but we're looking to partner with other churches. We're looking to partner with other organizations. And we're looking to partner with schools because we believe we can't do this on our own. God's mission is too great, great and there's too much at stake. Too many times we just try to invent the wheel, reinvent it, when God is already at work. All we got to do is take a look at what's going on in our community and partake in that. And then we're going to do it one home at a time. We believe with all of our hearts the Christian values start in the home. We believe that. And so we want to equip our parents and our children to follow Jesus Christ so it just doesn't start and end with us. We want to see a multitude of generations to the 10th and 11th generations follow Jesus Christ. Because if our faith dies with us, 
if our kids don't see us doing what we're doing right now, if our kids are not engaged in active discipleship, you can just continue to see what's happening all over the United States. Churches are going to continue to close if we don't get focused on those two things, discipleship and family. And one community at a time, that's one of our focuses. We realize that we're not just here for ourselves. I don't know if you looked around on what's going on in the news. Bad stuff, constantly bad stuff. Do you know why that is? The enemy has more territory than God does right now. The prince of this world is taking back territory. And God is telling us each day to put on our armors and raise up like the soldiers that we are to take back that territory from our enemy. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing with our campus model strategy. We're inch by inch by inch taking on new territory from our enemy because we believe this is God's territory, not Satan's. Amen? This is our call to take back. And this is one of the realities. Many churches think we're doing so well. We got this right here. If that's your thought process, I encourage you to, to go back to Scripture. If you think this is your only mission, the right here, the right now, the right now hilltop, this is your only mission, go back and read Acts 1.8. It doesn't just stop in your Jerusalem. He tells us to go forward into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Church multiplication is just not for church planners. It's for everybody. Jesus commissioned us not to just to stay in our little bubble. He calls us to be on mission. We are the ecclesia, the sent out ones, not come and gather and stay here. What is the Great Commission? What are the first words that Jesus gives us? Therefore, let me, I got to feel that one. Let me hear it like you mean it. Therefore, go. The better translation is as you go. As you go, go and make disciples. And Jesus was very particular about this. He wasn't just saying, come to church, worship, sing a few songs, hear a message that tickles your ear. He says, get in God's Word. Disciple other people. Do you know what the definition of a disciple is? Someone who's making disciples who's investing into the lives of others. You can't call yourself a disciple unless you're discipling somebody else. That is the golden rule. So if you're not in a discipleship relationship, please see Pastor Scott. He will fill you in and get you on mission for Jesus Christ. Amen? And as a result, this is what we're hoping happens in North Charleston. We're hoping we upend our communities with the crazy love of Jesus. Because we truly believe that Jesus Christ's love is crazy. It, it's not normal. We want to redirect and reorient our community to the love, hope, and holiness of Jesus Christ. And I just want to give you just a little bit of taste what that's looked like in North Charleston. Since the moment we got here, we're kind of country folk. And so for us moving into the city, it's kind of a big deal. But since the moment we got here, Jesus reminded us, 
he strategically positioned us into our neighborhood. Since we've got there, we've had block parties, we've had movie nights, we eat together, we're outside together almost every day with our, neighbor, our neighbors, and it's beautiful. There's the Acts 2 is literally happening before our eyes that we were doing everything and having everything in common. And just this last past couple weeks, we baptized four people. And why is that such a big deal? We baptized two of our kids. And then our daughter, Abby, can you just wave your hand, Abby? She has been encouraging her friend to come do church with us. Come be a part of what we're doing. And she was baptized a couple weeks ago. And not only did her friend get baptized, her grandfather was so excited to see her being baptized, he stepped up and said, hey, can I be baptized? I said, praise the Lord, absolutely, we'll baptize you too. And this is what the Spirit of God does. When it's alive and active, it spurs us on. It's like wildfire. It just catches. And so God has been moving in our community. Not only has he been moving in our community, he's been moving at my secular job at Food Line. And as you can imagine, I was complaining to God about working in retail, giving him my sob story, get me out of here. And a co-worker comes up to me one day and says, I've been bragging about you to my family. And I'm like, wow, that's deeply humbling. What did you say? Hopefully it was good, right? And she stopped to tell her family member that I took my time to pray over her at work, in front of customers, in front of co-workers, just right there. Which, to me, I don't think about those things. I just do it. As the Spirit directs, I do. And she's like, you just have no idea what impact you're making at work. We can literally start to see the culture shift at work right now. And I said, praise the Lord. And I had to humbly go before God and ask for his forgiveness because I keep asking him to get me out of there. And ironically, the first place our Bible studies started was my work Bible study. We're in our second round of studies. We're in our 20th week of studying the Word of God together, studying the book of Acts. And praise the Lord, we're coming together as a group this week. First time in person to be around the same table, share food together, and worship together. And I'm so excited to see what God does next. So as you're at your job, even tomorrow, I want you to keep this in mind. Don't be like me. I want you to go back to Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, and remember these words. Do everything readily and cheerfully. No bickering, no second guessing allowed. Go into the world uncorrupted, a breath of fresh air in this squalid and polluted society. Provide people with a glimpse of good living and the living of God. Carry that light-giving message into the night so I'll have good cause to be proud of you 
on the day that Christ returns. And check this out. This is Paul's message. You'll be living proof that I didn't go to all this work for nothing. And what I want to wrap up and tell you is just this. Aaron and I are nobody special. Believe me when I say that. Well, we can tell. We can tell that, right? We're nobody special. And I truly believe this with all my heart, soul, and strength. If God can use us, he can use you too. It's not the clergy. It's not Pastor Scott. It's not myself that God uses. He uses the everyday, the ordinary, to do the mighty works. So if you're just on the fence and you're not plugged in, if you're not serving God, get plugged in. God has so much more for you than what you're doing right now. Get active in your community and be missional and try to make life brighter through the love of Jesus Christ. Amen? We just want to encourage you. We have this card if you're interested. We believe in the power of prayer. Oswald Chambers had these famous words that said, prayer is this, right? Prayer is the greater work. That is what God has prepared us for. Prayer is not ordinary. Prayer is the work, the only work, the greater work that we need to be involved in. And so we're asking people to partner with us through prayer. We're going to pass these out, but we encourage you to come alongside us because we believe if God's going to do something mighty, it's going to be through the power of prayer. Amen? Let me pray over you. And actually, I want to bring uh, Pastor Scott uh, and uh, bring him up front. And if you wouldn't mind, uh, let's lay hands. Is that okay? If you feel like you want to come up, I want to lay hands on him. And if you just want to stay glued to your seat, that's cool too. But I want to pray over Pastor Scott because he has been so wonderful to get to know. And I truly believe that God has an anointing. Yes, please come up. This is what it looks like to be in partnership, to be on the same mission of Jesus Christ. That we are brothers in Jesus Christ on the same mission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That's just not one church. That's all churches. So please, lift up your pastor. Lift up your pastor. He asked for God to give him the strength that he needs to keep fighting the good fight because he's uniquely designed to this man. And I love his spirit, so let's pray over him. In the name of Jesus, we come before the throne this morning to boldly proclaim that you are the one and only God. You are the name above all names. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And we confess that with our might, with our mind, our mouth, and our heart right now. You told us, Lord, those who confess with their mouth, I will confess before my Father in heaven. So we, we boldly declare it. We don't hide it. We say it with all of our heart and soul, mind and strength. Thank you. Thank you for this church and the work they're doing. But I want to make this proclamation, Lord, that you're going to do an even greater work through Pastor Scott and this team. 
you're going to pour out blessing upon blessing. We're going to see people come to know the name of Jesus Christ through this work. And I can't wait to hear back from him, to see the people giving their lives to Jesus, people being baptized, and people being sent out on mission for Jesus Christ. Because there are greater days ahead for Hilltop. Help us to see with your eyes. Help us not to limit our vision, Lord. You are so beyond us. We can't even picture what you have planned for us. You even tell us that in Scripture too, Lord. We make our plans, but God establishes our footsteps. So establish our footsteps, Lord. Help us to be obedient and place a blessing on my dear friend here, Pastor Scott and his family. Continue him on this good work. Make him fearless and obedient. Protect his health and that of his family and help him to go forward out of here with boldness and courageousness. Lord, we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people say, amen. Amen. God bless you, my friend.